Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Point of No Return. I'm Michelle Graham. And I'm Amanda Washington. And today's case is one that used to haunt me a lot as a kid when I heard about it. And digging deep into it now, I'm just baffled by the connections and how basically this person did not get caught for a while. So let's get into it. Thirteen confirmed murders, more than fifty rapes, and at least one hundred and twenty burglaries. Oh my god! All of these crimes are at the hands of one man. No partner, nothing of the likes. He was a serial killer, a sex offender, and a burglar. He's responsible for three separate crime sprees across California between nineteen seventy four and nineteen eighty six, and there were different nicknames coined for each area. In the San Joaquin Valley, he was known as as the Visalia Ransacker. In Sacramento, some called him the East Area Rapist. And in Southern California, they called him the Night Stalker. Later on, the original Night Stalker. Oh, wait. So the Night Stalker and the Golden State Killer are the same person? (sighs) Yes. So he personally, (laughs) though, I knew him as the Golden State Killer. And I'm going to tell you about... I'm going to tell you about his life. His name was Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. And the horrendous legacy he created. But Amanda, you say that for a long time. I did not correlate all of these different nicknames. When I was younger, I thought the East Area Rapist and the Golden State Killer was two different people people. until I got a little older. And and, and even more when I started digging into it for this case. And you also might be thinking of a different Night Stalker. So there's two... um, (laughs) Two serial killers that went by the name of the Night Stalker. We're talking about Joseph James D'Angelo, though. I'll give you the name of the other one. I just came across it. Richard Ramirez. Yes, I was going to say the other one was was Hispanic with fucked up teeth. Yes. Yep. And, oh, Richard was scary. Yeah, it looked like he would bite your head off. Yeah. That wasn't, he, damn, was he in, his crimes were in California as well? Mm Mm-hmm. Dubbed the Night Stalker, the Valley Intruder, the Walking Killer. Seems like him and um, Joseph should have been friends. Yes. It, okay. They was so on that same shit. The Night Stalker is he. He was he was carried in like it was like low key a citizen's arrest, right? Like I, I want to say with his case, people in wherever he was doing it at, like they they were following his patterns, and then they ended up running in his him. ass. Yeah, like. <laughs> That's crazy. So he was also active in California. There was a lot of cross between the two of them. Now looking at this, it says he was committing his crimes between 1984 and 1985. That was in the last year or two of what Joseph was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was okay. some, there was a little bit of overlap oh, um, about what he was doing, but he was more culty and satanic. Yeah. Richard Ramirez was. Joseph was just I don't know what the fuck Joseph was on. We'll get to that though. But yes, so they they renamed Joseph the original Night Stalker because the other mm-hmm. guy came after him and he and he was called the Night Stalker. He's going to go by the Golden State Killer, but also affectionately Joseph in this piece because I'm not saying Golden State Killer over and over again. What yeah. was you about to ask? You know what's crazy, Mish? What's that? I'm like, we we really could have just done a, a whole se- season, it seems like, on California serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even funny, but in the 70s, 80s, they was going nuts. We need to definitely make some map timeline overlap of all the things happening in these areas. I told you when I told my mom that we were doing this case, she was like, oh, yeah, one of my cousins was killed by 
the Golden State Killer. First of all, you know, sometimes black parents be desensitized as fuck. And I was yeah. like, girl, excuse me. But the fact that, you know, my mom was so close to something like that. And, and right before we we're opening this case, you were like, wait, he's still alive. It's like, yes, alive. Like this stuff was happening in the 70s and 80s, but they were doing that stuff at such a young age. And now they're elderly, yeah. but it's like they was on that stuff early. This is crazy. It very much so is. But this is the point of no return. And it's the type of stuff that we cover. Yep. If you're new here, welcome. I'm Amanda. I am not Amanda. You are not Amanda. <laughs> she's, oh she's Amanda. <laughs> she's Amanda. I'm Michelle. Um, and this is a crime podcast where we cover murder, crime, cold cases, and everything in between. This seltzer is clearly hitting early and I need uh, because that was crazy. But let's go ahead and hop into it. Before you get into it. Yes, ma'am. I, I I did a little a, a little quick search. Let me tell uh-huh. you something. Northern California has like seven notorious um, serial killers. So the Zodiac Killer, yep, in the seventies. Mm-hmm. The Doodler. Do, have you ever heard of that? Him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And okay. And so that th- this person was responsible for killing people in the gay community in San Francisco. Yep. Then you have the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Killer. Yep. That was in the 70s. The Golden State Killer, which we'll cover today. The Unabomber. Yeah, the Unabomber. You also can't forget the Vampire of Sacramento. Yes, the Vampire. I, was, I, mm-hmm. I, I would never forget Vamp. <laughs> zebra Killers. It was a group of African-American murderers. I don't know about them. What? Um, it was in the 70s. Girl, the 70s was the 70s. Happened. And then finally, Richard Ramirez, who we just said yeah. is the second Night Stalker. Yeah, and he was in the late 80s. Wow. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. That yeah. just blew No, mind. you're okay. You're okay. It was a lot of shit going down in the 70s. I just don't understand how there wasn't some sort of state of emergency across California <laughs> during that time. It, and, and I'm like, it sounds silly, but it was like, yo, motherfuckers was dying. Yeah. And y'all was throwing hippie parades and smoking weed. It's like, <laughs> what was up in the 70s? It was too much going on. Okay, so let's get into it. Before I break down the crimes, we're going to tell you some of Joseph's background, which will probably make all of the crimes make some sort of sense. Because all of the areas he was raping, killing, and and stealing, and burglarizing, he had been in these places, worked in these places, attended school in these areas his, his damn self before doing it, which makes it, which baffles me that it took so long to catch him. Yeah. Okay, so... Before this, you said you've heard of the Golden State Killer, right? But you knew him as mm-hmm. the you knew him as a night stalker. Okay, I'm always intrigued to see how people how how much people are familiar with something like this, even though it's a it's a West Coast specific case because he didn't venture he didn't he didn't commit any other crimes in any other states, but he's not even from California, which is crazy to me. Yes, so first of all, I didn't know Joseph was his name until doing this case because yeah. in my head his ass his birth certificate could say the golden state golden killer. state killer yeah that's what his mama <laughs> named him right but he was born on november 8th 1945 in bath new york so that's he's why he's crazy he's a scorpio <laughs> yeah. amanda i kid you not i said that literally in my script next up it says that makes him a scorpio and i said we out automatically we need to do a zodiac chart for the killers we've covered yeah even if we just do california alone that's something we need to drop on social media so people can see because as soon as i said up oh, he's scorpio <laughs> yeah, no more. i was like well 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 it all makes sense um anyways we'll, we'll get we'll get to that zodiac chart anyways his father was a sergeant in the army and Joseph had two sisters and a younger brother. 
one of Joseph's sisters later told authorities that he was abused by their father as a child and that he witnessed two airmen rape one of his sisters in a warehouse in West Germany when she was oh seven God. years old. So sometime after he was born, his family did a little traveling. I'm sure it had to do with his father being in the army and he apparently witnessed this rape, which also baffles me as to why he would embark on what he did if he witnessed that as a child. Neither here nor there. Joseph's family traveled a lot with his father before settling in Sacramento sometime in 1959. He went on to attend Mills Middle School that year before going to Folsom High School, where he earned his GED. By the way, Mills is the same junior high school that I went to. So Mills wow. Middle School is in, yep, it's in Rancho Cordova, California, and it's attached to, remember I told you my middle school is attached to my high school. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't go to the high school that was attached to Mills, but I'm also assuming maybe Rancho wasn't there yet. Uh, maybe Cordova, excuse me, wasn't there yet. I know Mills was there first. He ended up going to a to a school that wasn't too far down after. I mean, excuse me, too far down from where Cordova was. Okay. So Joseph's torment actually started during his teenage years. While he was in high school, he committed burglaries and tortured and killed animals. I knew it was going to start with them damn animals. Uh-huh. That's how you do. <sighs> I don't know what it is. I really don't know what it is. He went on to join the Navy in 1964 and served for 22 months before returning back to California. It's like he had a soft spot for California. He kept going back there. Yeah. So Joe, when he got back to California, Joseph attended Sierra College in Rockland, where he graduated with an associate degree in police science with honors. I had two sisters who went to Sierra College. And I'm just like go, reading all of this and like digging deep into this. I'm like, wow, I literally know people who touch these same exact places yeah. that this killer touched um he then attended sac state university in 1971 where he earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice i don't know if you see where this is heading but he took some more edu educational courses and did police training at a college in visalia which was somewhere in the san joaquin valley joseph completed a 32-week police internship at a department in roseville roseville is about 45 minutes to an hour outside of sacramento okay okay Joseph became a police officer in the early 70s, most notably serving in the burglary unit across multiple California cities, including Exeter, Citrus Heights, and Auburn. So Citrus Heights is, is significant. You want to remember that. That's about, can be anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes outside of Rancho Cordova. Okay. But get this. I'm going to have to sip my drink for this part. Joseph was fired from the department in 1979 after he was arrested for shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent. A police officer was shoplifting a hammer. He was stealing a hammer and dog repellent. He was sentenced to six months probation, but during his departure, he threatened to kill the police chief and was caught stalking his house often. Oh, my and, God. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, after he was caught shoplifting, he faked a heart attack. Joseph was like probably in his early 30s at this time. Like, but what did he think the heart attack was going to do? I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> he like, thought he was going to forget about the hammer and the dog repellent. First of all, pull some change out of your fucking pocket, Joseph, and buy the hammer and the dog repellent. Like, what was this for? And how are you on the burglary unit and you don't know how to steal better than this? Literally, was on the burglary unit for, for a decade, nearly a decade. I don't know. It baffles me. Anyways, moving on. The best part of all of this, we're getting really deep into Joseph's life and his career and his job, but Joseph was dating. He definitely was dating. First, he got engaged to a girl he met during his time at Sierra College, but a year after their engagement, she broke the engagement off, claiming that he was getting violent. 
and she just had a bad feeling about him. God bless that woman because she dodged a motherfucking bullet. And I know she was probably watching the news a couple years ago like, that motherfucker crazy. I knew he was crazy. (laughs) But he still went on to get married. So Joseph was actually married for the entire stint of his criminal affairs. He was married up until 2019. He married a woman named Sharon Marie Huddle in 1973. She was from Citrus Heights. And she also was a divorce attorney. And she and Joseph had three daughters, two of which were born in Sacramento and one was born in Los Angeles. There's just so much irony in this case to me, like her being a divorce attorney, him yeah. being him working in the burglary unit. It was just being like a burglar. <laughs> it's like, and I want to know, like, girl, did you represent your own self in your divorce? I'm sure it was hard. Like you had to divorce a serial killer. <laughs> like, yeah, that had to be insane. So after after Joseph was fired from the department, it's unclear what his job was in the 80s, but he did work as a truck mechanic in Roseville from 1990 until his retirement in 2017. If you're doing some calculations, Joseph lived an entire life. Remember I told you he was doing his crimes from 1974 to 1986, and he was working through his retirement in 2017. So he was building a family, building a life, buying homes had a full-time job and was also murdering and raping motherfuckers in the meantime, in the wee hours of the night. All right. I'm going to get into some of the crimes and, and tell you what ultimately led to his arrest. Okay. So DNA evidence is what ultimately linked Joseph to more than 50 rapes, 13 known murders and hundreds of burglaries and stalking incidents across California, mainly in Rancho in the Rancho Cordova area. So I just want to give you another fun fact. Rancho Cordova became a city in 2003. Before that, it was go- it was encompassed as, as part of Sacramento, which is why when you hear a lot about this case, you hear more about Sacramento than you do about Rancho Cordova. But okay. he was he was doing his majority of his crimes in the Rancho Cordova area, which is the area that I grew up in. I went to Cordova High School. Yeah, so, I've seen um, your diploma before. Yeah, okay. Big Rancho. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Enough of that. Um, Y'all used to get drunk on the hill the first day of school. What the fuck is up with you? My mom's going to hear this. Uh We used to get high. We did not get drunk (laughs) before school. (laughs) It was called Senior Sunrise or something. Yes. Senior Sunrise and Senior Sunset. (sighs) Mom, that girl's a liar. (laughs) Also, back to Joseph, because Joseph's the true criminal here. Okay. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. He committed all of these crimes between the age of 29 and 37. That is just insane. I'm 29 right now. And it's like, but by the time, by this time, Joseph had already was, was already killing animals and stealing stuff from school. So I don't know what it was. For the sake of time, I won't be going through the crimes one by one, but I will tell you what was happening in Visalia, which was the the first area he was killing in, okay. um, then Sacramento, and then Santa Barbara before his ultimate demise, okay? Joseph started his rampage in 1974 in Visalia, where he mur- murdered Claude Snelling, who was a journalism professor at the college he had previously attended. So the college he attended where he got his associate degree, not Sierra okay. College. He also committed a bunch of burglaries and got into a scuffle with a detective before escaping and laying low until 1976 when he moved to Sacramento. The majority of Joseph crimes I told you happened in Rancho Cordova, but some other areas uh, that were around Rancho Cordova included Carmichael and Citrus Heights. Carmichael was a little further out. Citrus Heights was, you can you can think of it as next door to, to Rancho Cordova, I told okay. you. Okay. 
So his initial focus was to stalk women who traveled alone or were with children before raping them. He frequently targeted women near schools, creeks, or walking trails, and he would then follow them home before breaking into their homes and attacking them. I found this very interesting. Targeting lone women, fine, but targeting women with children, that to me just seems so... It was, that was that was random to me. But he also, I guess, mm-hmm. if he would see women by their by themselves with children, he still considered them to be single women. Joseph also wasn't, for the most part, he had one young victim, but majority of them were middle-aged women. So okay. women around his age. Another crazy part of this case is Joseph was actually seen a bunch of times, but he actually, he always successfully fled somehow. And not even always, I mean, not even sometimes, I mean, all of the time because he never got caught until way afterwards. So there's multiple sketches that were floating around of him. Of course, it started to hit the media. So after some time, he decided it was time to switch up his style. You know, he was ended up on the news a lot. And they were saying, here's his MO. He likes to stalk women who are by themselves or might be with children. He often is by bike trails or often near rivers, creeks. So if you're a lone woman, don't go to those areas. One, two, he was noticing, okay, since they notice I have a pattern, I'm going to switch it up. I always just think like, do news outlets be thinking this at all or police departments? And it's like, I guess it's a catch 22 because you're letting, you're still putting the information out there to let women know, but also you're giving the, yeah. you're giving the criminal the opportunity to change it up. Yes. So or like, somebody to copycat. And that's how they be getting all these copycats and stuff. Exactly. So he started to, instead of stalking lone women, he took his talents to stalking and attacking couples. Okay. So (laughs) now why would you attack couples, Joseph? I don't know, but he was doing it. And my thing is, is, and I have to forget, I see these old pictures of Joseph and I'm like, how was his old ass doing this? But he was, he was, he was probably young and and fit between 29 and 37. So he was manhandling motherfuckers because he was successful nine times out of 10. Let me relook at him again. Try to look at, try to look at the, either the sketches or there's a couple younger pictures of him because he was a police officer. If you see any of those, that might be easier to imagine him doing this stuff. So with this new focus, he'd sneak in through windows or sliding doors and threaten couples with a handgun. So he'd typically make the woman tie up the man and he would separate them into rooms. Now, I ain't gonna lie. This is where Joseph got a little motherfucking smart, okay? Okay. He'd make the men lay face down. They were tied. They were tied up and bound. And he'd stack dishes on the man's back and threaten to kill if he heard those dishes rattle or crash. Meaning they were trying to move. Yes. So if he heard them trying to move at all, he would, he would, um, he said he would threaten to kill. He then went on to rape the woman in another room. So he never did it in front of the male victim. So Joseph was known to stay in the homes after he broke into them for quite some time. He'd ransack the place, eat food from the kitchen, indulge in some beers and rape the woman some more. So he was just having a good old time. Yes. And girl, even more so get this. Joseph was known to escape on foot or on bike to head home, but he would play with the victims before he would leave. So he would creep away or he'll, or he'd hide in a bathroom or he'd hide in a closet. And as soon as he hear them try to, you know, move towards each other or something, he'd jump out and scare them. Like it's a motherfucking game. Insane. Right. So yeah, a lot wild. of the times after people were getting attacked, they didn't know for sure if he left their home because he was so, he was able to be so quiet when he was moving around. So 
After escaping on foot or on bike, which is crazy to me, he used to use bike trails and creek beds. So it was hard to catch him on the street or in a car because he often wasn't driving on the streets during those times. Mm -hmm. So he would also frequent similar neighborhoods. Like, you know, there'd be like five rapes that would happen in the same area and stuff. But it was hard to catch him because he was he wasn't on foot majority of the time. But I just don't I just want to know, like, wasn't neighborhood watch popular during this time? Like, yeah, that's when it started popping. Nobody was seeing him. I, that that baffles me. The first rape happened in Sacramento on June 18th, 1976. And the last occurred on July 5th, 1979. No cap, Amanda. I saw the whole list. There is 50 known rapes that were recorded during this, what, year and a month span, all at the hands of Joseph. And majority of them, if not all, were happening in the wee hours of the night. I think the earliest one I saw on the list happened around 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. But other than that, everything was happening between 11 p.m. and 3 and 4 a.m., sometimes even 5 to 6 a.m. So what was his occupation after he got fired from the police force? So he started the killings and stuff in 1974, and they lasted until 1986. Remember, there's no record of what he was doing in the 80s, but he did start the trucking position in 1990. Okay. I'm like, what did his wife think he was doing all night? <laughs> and girl, I put that at the end of my notes, but we could talk about that right now. I don't fucking know. So she told authorities that she always believed his reasons for being away from the home and his kids said he was a stand-up guy. I'm not sure what those reasons were, but you couldn't convince me. But then again, I'm black. My man is out at <laughs> between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. You're cheating. I'm not even going to think you're a murderer. Yeah, I'm leaving you like, because you're what? cheating, okay? I don't know how she wasn't, at, at the very least, thinking that. And I don't even know. She, even though he is a murderer, he still was cheating. Raping women and doing all of this stuff, carrying on sicko mode. But let's keep it 100. After he got fired from the job, I, I don't understand how that didn't drive her to leave him then. And he was fired in 1979. By that point, they had been married, what, six years? They got married in 73. I'm telling you now, my husband comes home to tell me he got fired because he burglarized some damn dog repellent. Well, he also had to go on probation. So I'm assuming they weren't able to leave right away after that either. Mm. But also, if you look at the track, if you if you're if you're if you're timelining this out, and I know it's hard to keep up with the numbers, yeah. he started in 1974. He married her in 73, so he started killing and he started doing the the burglaries and raping in Visalia in 1974, a year after he married her. And by 79, he was he was a good what five years in on the crimes. So an, a portion of for the for a portion of that, he was working. So I'm assuming in the first leg of the crimes, he was able to say he was on patrol or something. That's the only, mm -hmm. that's the only excuse I was thinking, or he was telling her he was doing the night shift or he was working doubles. That I can understand. But once it hit the eighties and you know, that motherfucker got fired from his job. What would, what would he have needed to be outside mm -hmm. for? Unless he told her he got a night job. He was doing this shit so often. Shit. Which makes sense. He probably did. Yeah. Shit was a job. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. Okay, so let me get back to where I was. Okay, so the first rape I told you happened in Sacramento, June 18th, 1976, and the last July 5th, 1979. Over 50 rapes, but also Joseph did some murdering during this time as well. Joseph killed Brian Macior, who was a military policeman at Mather Air Force Base, and his wife Katie, while they were walking their dog in Rancho on February 2nd, 1978. Brian and Katie had some sort of confrontation with Joseph before they fled, and he ultimately chased them down and shot them to death. 
I'm assuming he was, I'm assuming the confrontation was he was following them. They caught on to it, said something to him. And yeah. He decided to flag them down right then and there because they were going to be his next victims. But if you realize up until this point, he hadn't killed any of the couples yet inside the Okay. Homes. He was just raping. He was raping. And yep, tying them up. He was raping, tying them up and leaving. After this, Joseph moved on to Southern California, where he committed similar crimes from 1979 until 1986, but it got a lot more gruesome, okay? So Joseph murdered almost all of his victims in Southern California, all but one couple, um, and he either shot or bludgeoned them to death. So starting in October 1979, he broke into a couple's home and began attacking them before the woman was able to get near a window and scream, alerting neighbors and causing Joseph to flee. And I'm like, you, you're you five years in at this point. Why are you changing your MO now? I think he was getting greedy. And I, I think he got some sort of high off of killing the, the couple, Brian and Katie, because he continued stalking couples at this point, but he decided to, to kill them in the end. So two months later, two months after that first couple got away, he probably was like, let me go back to the drawing board, try some new shit. I don't know. Yeah. But Joseph successfully shot and killed 44-year-old Robert Offerman and 35-year-old Deborah Alexandra Manning after doing what he normally does, which tie them up, rape the woman first, and then mm-hmm. and then he killed them afterwards. Weirdly enough, though, there were dog prints found on the property, causing authorities to believe the intruder brought an animal with him because the couple didn't have a dog. You know what dog I automatically thought about? Who? The dog that Brian and Katie were walking. This could be me thinking too motherfucking beat because he could have kept their dog. He could have kept that dog, came home with a stray. And I'm like, this is not today's age where majority of all dogs have chips or some type of tracking device. But I'm like, he very well could have made way with that damn dog and took it home. Very true. Because I'm like, that was so random. But also, why did you bring that dog with you? Let me see. And while I'm here, let me see what time, if there's a time stamp on on those murders. No, it's not a timestamp. Because I'm thinking if it was the wee hours of the night, take that. That could have been his excuse, though, that he was taking the dog for a walk. And he ended up doing that. From then on, Joseph killed three couples and a lone woman between March 1980 and July 1981. After this, Joseph took a nearly five-year hiatus before committing his last and final murder on March 4th, 1986. And okay. I don't know if Joseph was feeling the same thing I was feeling, but this this murder to me didn't match his MO at all because of her age alone, but also it had been five years and it was just, it was just nastier than the other ones. So on May 4th, 1986, he killed Janelle Cruz in Irvine, California. Janelle was only 18 years old. She was home alone while her family vacationed in Mexico. She was raped and bludgeoned to death in her home. By this time, Joseph was 37. So he was almost 20 years older than her. her. Yeah, older than her. So after that, he's, from, from, what the, from what the record shows, he was done. He was done with his crimes for the time being. And authorities didn't actually start making connections between all of the rapes, burglaries, and murders until 2001. And the links came after authorities noticed the patterns. They were starting to notice the patterns in the different cities of the MOs mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And they started to link them together with different sketches, different accounts. And in 2016, detectives used genetic genealogy searching technology that identified distant relatives of Joseph. 
So based on this info, authorities built various family trees and the only and the one they created that ultimately linked to Joseph had 1000 people on it. So what they were doing is oh they were God. taking all of the DNA. Yep, they were taking all of the DNA from all the different rape kits and, and any any type of DNA that was left on the on the crime scene, they put them into this system that were able that was able to link it back to relatives that said from 1800. So from there, they were working down to try to to try to figure out what who it was and what was going on. Mm-hmm. So they landed on this one family tree and they narrowed it down to two suspects, one of which was able to be ruled out by some other type of DNA, DNA that wasn't showing up in the DNA they had. Um, and the other spe- a suspect was Joseph, which that's who they ultimately landed on. So on April 18th, 2018, detectives obtained Joseph's DNA sample from his car in a tissue he discarded in a curbside garbage can. Both matched the rape kit samples collected from the crime scenes over the years. They were able to automatically 100% match. So, wow. Joseph was arrested at his Citrus Heights home on April 24th, 2018, and was initially charged with eight counts of first degree murder in Sacramento. So, you see, I just told you his home in Citrus Heights. This was a home him and Sharon bought together in the 1980s. So, I'm like, okay. they some they they bought this home in the 1980s, even though they didn't stay in Citrus Heights, they, they ended up buying this home. And Sharon was from Citrus Heights. So not only did you move back to a city that you committed a lot of crimes in, it was probably very easy to find him because he was already a police officer in this Sacramento area. He bought a home in this area. His wife was from this area. It's like once they were able to finally match the DNA, it was like, boom, we got him. Yeah, it's a match. Yes. So Santa Barbara County charged him with four additional counts of first degree murder a month after he was arrested in Sacramento. We haven't talked about Sharon much because honestly, Sharon didn't have much to offer in this case, his wife, but they stayed married this entire time. She didn't divorce him until 2019 after she found out about the crimes and the murders. And like I told you, she told authorities, I had no idea what was going on. His daughter said he was a stand up dad. And it's like, when was he hanging out with y'all? He was killing and raping motherfuckers. Yeah. Like, majority of their childhood. Like, I'm confused. But, unfortunately, Joseph couldn't be charged with any of the rapes or burglaries as the statute of limitations had expired for those offenses, which is (sighs) insane. I found many articles, and I didn't want to get too deep into them because this episode could go on forever if we did that. Many articles of women recounting their experiences with him, and it's like, damn, yes, he's in jail now for the murders, but they'll probably never have that full closure because no one will ever be charged for Mm. their rapes because so much time has passed. He was able to be charged with 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping, though. So they were able to add some kidnapping charges on there. Okay, good. So during his confession, Joseph said an inner personality named Jerry made him commit all the crimes. Not Jerry. According to a Sacramento County prosecutor, Joseph was apparently talking to himself during a police interrogation in in a police interrogation room when he was arrested in April, 2018. So I don't know if someone had left the room and he was in there by himself and he was talking to himself and they said they recorded this statement. He said, I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me, he went with me. It was like in my head. I mean, he's a part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out and had a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. What do you think of that? Let's let's stop there and unpack there before I tell you all of his sentences and where he's at now. I feel like he said that because he knew that they were going to be able to hear him. He's smart. He knows what happens in interrogation rooms or anywhere else in a police 
realm. You know what I'm saying? So for him to blame it on them or or blame it on Jerry or whomever he feels is like in his head, I think he wanted to maybe plead insanity or something or see if they would find him insane so he wouldn't have to do the real time. Yeah, that offer was never on the table. Because <laughs> who are you talking about? And who are you talking to? And who is talking Jerry? About? It's Jerry. Who is that? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. And I mean, one of the reasons why I think he confesses, because like he said it, he says, I lived a life. I lived a happy life. He went on to live an entire life after he did all of that. He stopped in 1986, didn't get caught till 2018. That was what, over 30, 40 years later? Like, Mm -hmm. he literally lived an entire life and probably felt like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go ahead and admit it now. I don't know. It's sick. Yeah. It's sick as fuck. So on to his sentencing. On August 21st, 2020, Joseph was sentenced to consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. So he got consecutive life sentences for all 13 counts. And he entered a plea deal to avoid the death penalty, even though that's what prosecutors were pushing for. I think this shit should be illegal. If that's what y'all pushing for, push for it. Mm -hmm. Like in his and then part of the plea deal was him was him pleading guilty to the kidnapping charges and all of the murder charges. So he pled guilty to everything instead of whatever. I was like, I would have took him. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. As of February 2021, he's serving his sentence in protective custody in a state prison in Northern California. Of course. You know, I want to know what protective custody is. Like, what exactly is? Solitary, essentially. Whenever you go to protective custody, it's like solitary. That's why some people are like, no, I don't want to go to protective custody because you're in a cell by yourself all day. And you might get like some a little bit of yard time, but for the most of it, for the most part, if you're in that kind of, you know, custody or whatever, you are locked up. So yeah, he's probably in a cell by himself, which is best because but that if also he get means out, he's guarded. That's also mean he's guarded all the time. The youngest on the yard gonna get him. I wouldn't be mad if somebody, you know, gave him a little ass whooping. And maybe this is not maybe this is wrong of me to think, but it's like, ugh, he's gonna live his life without having to experience any physical harm even though he physically harmed over a hun- hundreds of people, mm-hmm. ruined hundreds of families, ruined hundreds of lives. And he's going to, even though he's in jail and he's whatever type of justice that is, like physically, he's going to be able to live out his life. He's going to die in there for sure, 100%. But probably of natural causes. So wait, what you're telling me is there's nothing wrong with him? Like health-wise well, he right di- now? He wasn't diagnosed with any probably old age, Amanda. He's seventy something, but you know what? And I think you're I think you're looking at the when he had the mask on and and all of that stuff. Yeah, why I'm, does he look dead? It was during COVID. If you the his he got sentenced in August twenty twenty. So when he got arrested, he remember he got arrested in April, in April yeah. two thousand eighteen. So it? so by the time <laughs> by the time he actually <laughs> got sentenced, COVID had been going on for what six months, yeah. six or something months at this time. I don't know why that man looks that old. I mean, let's I mean, let's look it up. Joseph is is healthy and agile even though he appeared frail when in the courtroom. This is a okay. that was a part of an article in um 2020. Cuz I was wondering, I'm like he has an illness. Well, he obviously he does, but And and apparently he ha- he has a history of faking insanity and I told you he faked a heart <laughs> attack. That's what this article says. And that's why he was in that room talking to himself. He wanted the people to think that he was insane. Mm-hmm. So he has a history, apparently, of, of faking being mentally ill or physically um, incapable of doing stuff on the job. And yeah, so maybe since 
There is a record of that. I do not know why this man looks so frail. Yeah, what a freaking con artist. Honestly, I, I applaud you today because, honey, the Golden State Killer, all his like documentaries, all of that stuff, it'd be like, the reason I don't know enough about him is because they'd be like two, three hours long. And I'm like, I'm not watching that. You condensed that in a whole 35 minutes or so. Thank you. Thank Beautiful you. Beautiful job. Really wanna, I really wanted to cut through the weeds. And it's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff I, I, I didn't address as well. Like, yeah. At some point, apparently, there were a lot of phone calls to former victims and police departments and of people either claiming to be him or also similar to, to other serial killers in the area. People wanted to be him. And girl, I'm sure the documentaries talked about that a lot. And I'm like, that to me just wasn't important to talk about here. But yeah, before wrapping up, I do want to ask you a couple of questions to just kind of okay. talk through some possibilities of why Joseph did this other than sure. he could have just been... I, I don't know. I don't even want to call him insane. I think he was a very sane person. He literally was managing a job and a family his entire life when he was doing these things. So I, it could just be pure yeah. evil. What sane but, person you know that could do that? He's insane. <laughs> what is insane, though? What is insane? I don't know. You want me to see what Merriam-Webster says? Yeah, let's see real quick. I think you have to be very logical to carry out something very in your right mind to carry out something <laughs> in his right mind, his version of his right mind. Like, yes, to us, it seems insane. Yeah. Okay. Insane is an adjective. So it states in a state of mind, which prevents normal perception, behavior, or social interaction, seriously, mentally ill. The example that they gave is he has gone insane. Also insane could be shocking or outrageous. They were making insane amounts of money. I guess I would say what he did is shocking and outrageous, but I wouldn't say he was mentally ill. I wouldn't say he was incompetent and I wouldn't say he was socially inept. Like he was mm -hmm. married. He had kids. He had siblings. Like he was a police officer. He went into the army. It's like he did things where it was like, yes, people made complaints about his outbursts, but like nothing to nothing to the extent of he could have been harmful. Like his kids were literally like he was a stand-up guy he was like that perfect all-american type of father to them and i'm like i would say more yes that could have been sociopathic but yeah which leads me to do you think he did this because of his childhood experiences i couldn't find much about his mother i'm gonna say yeah especially since you said before like he kind of grew up he was killing animals and stuff like that killing animal shit is always like this the you know the foreground for somebody being a killer when they grow up like you start with animals and then you go on to people like so that whatever happened to the golden state killer i don't know if it was necessarily his childhood or versus he was born with a chemical imbalance in his brain okay and a lot of these people i think again be having mental illnesses from rip and their families the their parents the system does nothing about it and his was like his isn't really like a systematic problem to me because i'm like okay yeah he stole but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a killer you know if you're a burglar but you killing animals at such a young age or whatever his family um what i guess maybe they were all over the place should have taken that a little bit more seriously because his ass been crazy from the beginning you know, and this is, it's like twofold because it, during his trial, I was very intrigued that um, his defense wasn't trying to push for, you know, an insanity, trying mm -hmm. to try to say he wasn't saying to get him out of, but it, yeah, he was trying to, he was trying to avoid the, the um, death penalty at all costs. But other than that, like 
nobody was paying attention. This is also one of the few cases I've seen where they're like, yeah, he's faked mental illness in the past. And it's like, I've never seen that. I've never read that as part of as part of the prosecution. And it's like they had track records of him lying on the job. Fake. That's how I found out about him faking the heart attack or saying he was physically incapable of doing certain stuff. And it's like, did y'all really do an evaluation? And what would that have? What would that evaluation have shown? Couldn't you know, have think of. I I think of his childhood experiences of him getting abused or and maybe witnessing the rape that could have been you know very mm-hmm. traumatic for him but could all of this been because he was a disgruntled ex-police you know officer if you look at his track record of where he was murdering at all of those places he had worked in like what which, well, which do you think me, it was because of familiar familiarity you familiarity? know for sure, yeah. 100%. I think he was going back to these areas because he knew them. Like, for one, he killed the journalism professor. And I'm like, damn, you wasn't even in the journalism program, my guy. You was over there in criminal justice. Mind your business. That was fucked up. Like, that one stuck with me. You know, it's probably because the journalist in me, but it yeah. was like. But literally, he did it for seeing... future, for future. Like, I already know y'all finna be talking about me. No, dead ass. And I'm like, I don't know. And it's like, for the sec, like the police department, and it's like it could have been different units, but like as far as like the the unit who was focusing on the burglaries, it's mm-hmm. like did no one be like, oh, Joseph went to this college. He also was in this area, in this area. Not yeah. one person ever did that. Like it came down to the DNA evidence, and it's like that's what baffled me because to me it was like clear as day. Like he went back to specific areas that Places. he had frequent in place. Yes, and it was like so maybe fre- people like his wife. He went back to them multiple times. So exactly. Some maybe someone like his wife. It's like nothing occurred to her that these murders are following us. Like that's that was crazy to me. Like the kid's not getting it, sure. Of course he's a stand-up guy, but her, I'm like I, what was yeah. what was going on? Because it had to he had to have been absentee in in a sense. Like there's no way, there's only 24 hours in a day. There's no way that you're raping and killing all damn night and you're not exhausted the next day to not be able to do nothing. Like, exactly. come on. Exactly. Exactly. And I also want to know, like, if the only instance I've seen that they actually bought their home was in the 80s in Citrus Heights, which means that's clearly a place that they always planned on mm-hmm. going back to. But as far as when they were living in different places, the biggest thing I was thinking, because I told you he used to ransack these homes, he was stealing a lot. Where the hell were you storing all of this shit? <laughs> and it's like he was stealing random ass items. And it was like, I'm sure he had to keep sake boxes and stuff. But it was like, he was literally living an entire another life. But why and was he, he stealing? His, it's like, why was he stealing wife, dog repellent? I don't know. But I mean, he was getting yeah, <laughs> active in the 80s. And I'm like, maybe it's because he wasn't working. And maybe he was stealing stuff and, 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 and selling it for money. But yeah, a hammer and dog repellent. It was very specific. I'm like. I, yeah, that's very random. I couldn't tell you. Um, but what I will say is I really wanted to paint a different a different picture telling this story. I feel like all of the, like you said, all of the news and just everything I've, I've read or come across about him, it gets very daunting and long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to make the connections between his past and when he was when he was doing the crimes. But yeah, Joseph is still kicking. He's serving his sentence. Um, so in a sense, he is getting some justice. But I feel for the women who have to live their life knowing that they'll never get justice for the horrendous things that happened to them at the hands of him. But as you see, he's frail. So yeah, he getting what he deserved right now. And also y'all please, you know, head over to the case file so you can see photos of him because this man, (laughs) 
Y'all gonna see why I said he looks sick. I was like, yeah, he's about to die today. And then when Michelle said that he was still alive, I'm like, oh, wow. Yep, Joseph is still kicking, and so is the point of no return. Period. (laughs) On that note, thank you for joining us on another episode of The Point of No Return. This is a product of Manny Image Media, and we'll be back shortly with another episode. I'm Michelle Graham. And I'm Amanda Washington. Until next time, thank you. Bye.